electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. My mission is simple. To make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll do my friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to put it all in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We take calls in the show. Nobody else takes calls. I like it. Especially on days with a Dow gain, 317 points, S&P climbed 0.67%, NASDAQ advanced 0.55%, all good for the bulls. But there are times when taking calls can be frustrating. Like when you ask me about heavily shorted stocks, and I really have nothing to say that can advance the ball. Now, I was with someone when I was on vacation with the kids in Iceland a couple weeks ago. His name's Scott, and he said some terrific things to me. He said I saved his company. He said I kept people at work. Made me feel great. One of the ways I apparently saved him money was the day when I came to two after my back surgery, and I saw the GameStop stock was at a $400 price tag. Then I called him to the hospital to squawk on the street to say that the price was absurdly high. Sell, 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 sell. He remembers me saying I ripped off the catheter and told people that I had to get out. It was the exact top. And many still blame me for busting this short. He hated what happened to me after, that my Twitter account was overrun by hateful people. So hateful he couldn't read the response file anymore. My kids couldn't either. Now I can't read it. I will never be forgiven for turning against the meme stocks or, in principle, the ultimate meme stock, GameStop. Since these self-described degenerates and deplorables are never going to leave me alone, all I can do is double down and enjoy myself. Maybe hit the Threads app and prepare for the investing club meeting tomorrow at noon. So let me do it. Let me double down. Right now, I'm constantly asked about stocks that are flying. And they're not good stocks. Take Carvana. The used car play with a balance sheet from absolute hell. The house of pain. In a just world, so to speak, would have gone under back when the stock was traded at three bucks and changed last December. There are people who do great work in this market. Their craft is to examine the balance sheet, realize the company will have a very hard time paying the interest on the debt, maybe presume that it can't make it, and certainly it will only get more difficult if the Fed keeps raising rates, making it more expensive to get financing on a used car because they're based on the short rates. They smell a good short. 
And why the heck not after that, right? And Carvana's losing money hand over fist. Used car prices are going down, and they own a lot of used cars. Of course, these guys are disrupting the industry in a fantastic way. I love buying a car from Carvana. I had it show up at my house. I didn't really like it. <laughs> Send it back. <laughs> Very different from the traditional experience, right? But those who know the craft, who can look at a balance sheet, read the Fed tea leaves, and notice the decline in used car prices, they know that this company's a goner. So they bet against the stock of Carvana. They shorted whatever they could get a hold of. Remember, you have to borrow the shares before you can sell them short. And they invested in Carvana going to zero. However, there's a whole other group of people who know nothing about the craft of stock picking, as I just described, except that if you buy the stock and buy it and then buy it some more and then continue to buy it and your friends do the same thing, then you can sometimes crush the short sellers simply by vacuuming up all the shares that the shorts need to borrow if they want to make their trade stick. A crush short means a higher stock. And that's why being short is much more difficult than being long. And when you get to the point where 50% of the stock float is sold short, as is the case with Carvana, a ridiculous amount, yet the longs keep buying voraciously, then the short sellers simply won't be able to keep the stock they need to stay short. The brokers will force them to buy it back, and it'll go even higher when they do. That was easy. That was easy. Look, the whole game of short selling is one-sided unfair. you got to understand that. But bulls make money, bears make money, and hogs, well, guess what? They know nothing! They get slaughtered. So the shorts can only blame themselves for failing to take profits before the meme stock guys came in with the relentless buying. Think about it. The stock went to three. A lot of these guys were short. They could have just bought the stock back, covered, and made a fortune. But no, no, they were greedy. They were pigs. Now, shouldn't the actual business of Carvana matter? I mean, you know, the used car sales, the tower of cars. You drive down to Philadelphia, I-95, and you see the tower. It looks like a, like a giant Coca-Cola soda machine filled with cars. I mean, shouldn't that matter, right? No. No, in fact, not at all. That's not the way it works. As long as Carvana stays somewhat solvent, then the buyers, by their own relentless purchasing, can make it so the bears can't find enough shares to sell short. I know, not fair to the shorts. But the whole premise here is that they want to borrow somebody else's stock, sell it, then buy it back at a lower price. Somebody has to actually lend them those shares first before they can put on the short. And that's what makes this such a brutal game. Before you short a stock, you have to locate that stock from a broker. That way, the person you initially sell it to will get his shares. But there are no guarantees in this business. Just because you located the stock initially... It doesn't mean that it sticks. The broker has the right to break that commitment, to lo- break the locate, to come to you and say, hey, sorry, we got to wreck your short by buying in, literally ending your trade. They don't even have to tell you they're doing it. Next thing you know, you've got buy- you have buyers who are buying Carvana just to bust the shorts. And you have the short sellers losing their stock that they located to begin with, with their brokers closing out their trade at hideous losses 
for the short sellers. Now, you'd think the real owners, the ones who are in it and are watching the stock left take, would take some profits, for heaven's sake. But something like Carvana doesn't have traditional shareholders at this point. The people who own this thing bought it because it seemed like a good idea, and now they're being rewarded for busting the shorts. They ain't selling. If you tell them to take profits like I did with GameStop, they'll never forgive you. That makes this stock tight as a drum, as they say. Many short sellers have no way out other than to give up. But do not cry for them. That's not the way it works either. But that is where we are. So when you call me up and you ask me, what do I think of Carvana? I have to tell you that I have no thoughts whatsoever about Carvana, the company, because those thoughts are now irrelevant. I just think about the longs versus the shorts and the longs beating the shorts. I call it a controlled stock. And right now, the longs are in control. Whoever is in control at any given moment when it comes to Carvana is the winner. What are some other controlled stocks? Well, how about Upstart, which is a company that makes unconventional loans. 35% of that stock sold short. Affirm, which makes buy now, pay later loans. 20% short. Novavax. Oh, my God. Remember that COVID? We had them one a couple of times. They had some COVID formulation. It's 36% short. Riot Platforms, a Bitcoin mining company. 17% short. Marathon Digital, a digital asset tech company. 25% short. And then one of the biggest right now, one that soared today, Coinbase with 25% of the stock sold short. Oh, man, you could just see the shorts rolling over and dying today. These are all battlegrounds, people. They're battlegrounds like GameStop or Carvana, where the actual business simply doesn't matter at all. Hitchcock would call it the MacGuffin. What matters is there isn't enough stock for the shorts to keep shorting. As long as these short squeezes keep up, these so-called smart hedge funds will all go bust, even if they're actually right about the business which doesn't matter. So what should be your takeaway? It's simple. Don't short stocks that are already heavily shorted. You're not only betting against the company, you're also betting that this won't become a controlled situation, controlled by the longs, the buyers, who know that the more they buy, the less likely the short sellers can come out ahead. Eventually, enough short sellers throw in the towel for new shorts to come in, but I don't want to be on either side of this kind of trade at that point. How the heck am I supposed to opine on something that's simply a war between the advantaged longs and the disadvantaged shorts? When at a certain point, the free riders decide to cash in or they don't. And the shorts simply get destroyed as the stock wars. Here's the bottom line of a complex situation. I'm not going to start making wagers on the buyers and sellers. I make informed decisions on the companies themselves. Unfortunately for me, the companies, whether it be Carvana or Riot or Upstart or Coinbase, are actually irrelevant here. I want no part of that because it's not the craft I have been taught, and I don't want to recommend a strategy of short busting because you never know how much firepower or not either side has. Scott in South Carolina. Scott. Booyah, Jim. How are you feeling today? Uh, I am feeling well, Scott. How about you? I'm doing good, but let's see what tomorrow brings for us. <laughs> good point. Hey, good uh, point. Yeah. Got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, recent, I've recently taken some profits, and I bought into a stock um, that's been down for the last year and a half, and their earnings for next month don't look that great, to be honest with you. I want to know what your take is if I should. Currently, the stock, I'm about break even. I want to know if I should sell it and maybe wait till after earnings to buy down at a lower um, cost. But my stock is EL, Estee Lauder. Estee Lauder. Okay, now tomorrow at midday, we are going to do our 
conference. It is our investing club club meeting. And I am going to talk extensively about Estee Lauder, but I am not going to agree, disagree with, with what Scott at South Carolina, with a very informed position, just said. No disagreement with Scott, but Estee Lauder will be entirely flushed out by me tomorrow at noon. I want you to be in the club right there. Let's go to Stackwell in Washington. Stackwell. How you doing today, Jim? I don't know. That was highly original. I'm starting. I'm trying to calculate it myself. I'm doing fine. How are you? Oh man, I'm all right. Yeah, man. I just uh, I want to thank you for all that you've done, and I definitely have to tell you, Jim, that a lot of them haters out there that's hating on you, man. Look, I'm, I'm from Seattle, man. We can get Seattle cracking anytime, man. If you guys keep having a Thank you. Man. My wife. My wife was discouraged <laughs> this weekend. She said, "You know what? I think you are at this point." more hated than Putin. I said, listen, it's been five and six the whole way with the Twitter thing. Sometimes I'm six, sometimes he's five. Don't write me off yet. Go ahead. Hey, hey look, man, we got a lot of people that got your back in a lot of strange places, man, so don't worry about it. Yes. Man. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hey, but, hey, but what I can definitely say is this, man, we've been having a lot of the analysts and things, man, that you, you told us not to listen to, upgrade, downgrade, I don't know which way they want to grade. This UNH stock, man, I'm trying to figure out, man, do you think that they're going to hit their highs again? I need you, I need you to, to take a, I need you to take an eight-month eight month view. Eight, why do I say eight months? Because we got to get to the promised land of next year. Because when the, when United Health reports, you're going to find out that it actually did better than it said when it had these issues involving more people playing pickleball. Now, I got to tell you, the club told me I had to have weights to wear, play pickleball. So I said, the heck with that, man. I'm not changing that on my Levi's. That stock's at 13. I wouldn't touch that either, just for the record. But it could make a comeback. Anyway, look, you can do all the research you want on a specific stock with a short thesis in mind. But if it's already being heavily shorted, could you please just steer clear of it? Oh, man, buddy, tonight we're continuing our series of legislation beneficiaries by taking a closer look at the Chips Act. Everyone's forgotten these stocks are about to win just when they're about to win. Then we turn to Larry Williams, typically for more macro themes. But tonight he has surveyed the technicals and storage and moving rental play that I don't think you want to miss. I think it's actionable. I think you have to tomorrow. And Savers Value Village soared on its first day of trading. Can that be sustained? I'm digging the numbers on the newly listed stock. You know we're all over the IPOs. That market's coming back, as will the M&A market, after that incredible decision against the FTC today by the court when it comes to Microsoft Activision Blizzard. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All this week, we're running a series on the major pieces of legislation that have been passed since President Biden was sworn in, trying to identify the companies that will benefit the most as all this federal spending finally kicks in. Last time we looked at the big infrastructure bill, tonight I want to focus on another straightforward one, the Chips and Science Act from last August. The original Chips Act was a direct response to the global semiconductor shortage that hit during the pandemic and really hurt the United States. As people started paying attention to supply chain again, chains again, it quickly became clear that our chip makers were totally hostage to manufacturers in Asia. And we've been taking our steady supply of semiconductors for granted. And that's why uh, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo pushed so hard for this bill. These days, we put chips in everything. So if the semiconductor supply chain hits a snag, our whole manufacturing sector suffers. But to pass the bill, the White House had to throw in a bunch of other goodies. And it became the Chips and Science Act. This has a $52.7 billion for American semiconductor research, development, manufacturing, and workforce development, with most of that going to manufacturing incentives so that we can make this stuff in America again. On top of that, the bill also had a 25% investment tax credit for capital expenses coming from semiconductor manufacturing and related equipment. I've been doing a lot of work on this. That is coming into play, and it's going to be very bullish for our country. Of course, like I mentioned last night, it takes forever for this money to get dispersed, which is why this is the whole reason why I'm talking about this bill nearly a year after its passage. People have forgotten that this money is now going to hit. So who are the biggest winners? Let's start with the chip makers that have already announced major domestic investments that are now subsidized by Uncle Sam. Intel's become the poster child for the Chips Act. Under CEO Pat Gelsinger, the company's pivoted hard. Intel's now diving headfirst into its old business, the foundry business, both for itself and as an outsourced manufacturer for other semiconductor companies. That's new. They're putting up new facilities in Arizona and in Ohio, committing tens of billions of dollars to these projects, in part because the federal government will end up footing a big chunk of the bill. It's a great deal for Intel. 
of course, I haven't been a fan of Intel for ages. They've still got some major execution issues, and AMD is running circles around them. But even I have to concede that Intel stock has acted better recently, rebounding from the mid-20s to the low-30s, and their most recent quarter was the best we've seen for them in a long time. I think the story will only get more attractive as the CHIPS Act subsidies kick in. While Intel still needs better execution, there's no doubt about that, the expectations are now so low that it wouldn't take much to keep the stock to continue to go higher. Next, who else would benefit from these eligible, who's eligible for these federal semiconductor subsidies? Well, one that spends a lot of money in the U.S. already is Micron. I think Micron might be the second biggest beneficiary from the bill. The commodity chip makers announced some huge investments in domestic chip manufacturing, including up to $100 billion in a so-called mega fab in central New York. Micron says this will be the largest semiconductor fab in the history of the United States. On top of the CHIPS Act, they're also getting $5 billion in incentives from the state of New York. This bill is such a bonanza for the industry that even foreign chip makers went in on the action. The CHIPS Act was written to help our companies diversify away from Taiwan Semiconductor. That's the largest chip manufacturer on Earth. But now Taiwan Semi is building a $40 billion foundry in Arizona, and they're seeking up to $15 billion in tax credits and grants from the state and federal government to help. That's pretty good. Hey, if Taiwan Semi wants to make chips here in the United States, more power to them. I never thought I'd see the day when a Taiwanese company invested in American manufacturing rather than the other way around. All right, who else wins? How about Global Foundries, which is an outsourced chip manufacturer with a huge facility in upstate New York? Right after the CHIPS Act was signed into law, Qualcomm announced an agreement to buy $4.2 billion worth of additional chips from Global Foundries, specifically their New York foundry. Just last month, we learned about a new long-term supply partnership with Lockheed Martin, the defense company. Now, I've liked Global Foundries since it came public in late 2021, and the case only gets stronger for this one as the CHIPS Act spending kicks in. Now, when you hear about all these new semiconductor production facilities building uh, all over the country, that's also good news for the semiconductor capital equipment makers. Because it'll be able to, they're going to sell a ton of machinery into the foundries. I want you to think about applied materials, AMAT, LAM Research, KLA uh, Corp, Corp, and then the Dutch company ASML. Of course, these guys don't care where new foundries get built as long as they're built somewhere. But I think that there'll be definite beneficiaries from the subsidies. And it's good news for some of these guys because they've been closed out of some Chinese business because of worries about military concerns. At the same time, there's a lot of money in this bill for semiconductor research and development. And that means more manufacturing equipment investments, too. One of the big examples of this is Applied Materials' new $4 billion Epic Center in Santa Clara, California, which we discussed in our recent interview with Applied Materials CEO Gary Dickerson. Take a look at this. I know a lot of people are cynical about the government, but this CHIPS Act seems like it's a great thing to keep the intellectual property that we have in our country and do great things with it. It, No question is it it is a uh, catalyst. Uh, So I think there's two things. One is where you build chips. So I think having that secure supply chain is important. But, Jim, even more important is leadership and how to build the chips. That's what we're doing with Epic, the High Velocity Innovation Center in Silicon Valley. So absolutely, Chips Act is a catalyst. Finally, there's one more cohort that wins here, and that's the software companies that help chip makers design better semiconductors. Now, my favorites here are Cadence Design Systems. You might have heard us speak with them when we were out in Santa Barbara, and Synopsis. Again, like the capital equipment makers, these guys don't particularly care where new designs are being designed, so long as they're being designed somewhere. But I have to believe all this investment in semiconductor innovation will ultimately help them make more money. 
Now, we recently spoke to Cadence Design CEO, and he's Anirudh Devgan. When we were in Santa Barbara for the CNBC CEO Summit, wow, was he powerful. I thought he told a great story. He made the point that the Chips Act makes big investments in the next generation of chip manufacturing, and that's where Cadence could rack up a lot of business. By the way, Behind the scenes, Cadence does a huge amount of business with NVIDIA, long my favorite. Now, at the end of the day, I don't need that much of a push to get bullish in the semiconductor complex, meaning the chip makers themselves, the fabs like Global Foundries, the semiconductor capital equipment makers like Applied Materials, and the design assistance companies like Cadence. After a period of oversupply last year, I think that we've either just passed the trough quarter for semiconductor demand or we're currently in it. Either way, that would make this a great time to be a buyer of all the stocks I just went over. And no, they haven't moved as much as you think. No, they are still in the sweet spot of buying. Here's the bottom line. Please do not look a gift horse in the mouth. The Chips and Science Act is a real positive for all the companies that can get their hands on the government grants and tax incentives money that should soon start flowing to Intel, Micron, Taiwan Semi, Global Foundries, Applied Materials, and Cadence Design Systems, among many others. Those are buys, and their money is back after the break. Coming up, moving is the worst. Can this van and storage stock make it haul better? Stay tuned. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This is a tricky moment because Wall Street's finally coming around the idea the economy is much more robust than anyone's given it credit for. But we also already had a pretty sizable run over the past four months. And the future is murky, plus we're real overbought. Now, we have no idea what the Fed's going to do next. Even the Fed doesn't seem to know. Because open market committee members, they're just all over the place. Now, some of them want to stop tightening. Others want to hit us with four more rate hikes by the end of the year. Hard to get a read on the economy when you can't get much of a read on, the own, on your own central bank. And that's why at times like these, I like to look for other ways to win, either long-term sector themes like we're doing with our government spending series this week or shorter-term trades that you might like that seem to play out year after year after year. Right now, we're talking short-term, and for that, we're going off the charts with Larry Williams. Yes, he's the legendary technician and market historian who's been the top expert in the space since before I even learned how to drive, and I was a good driver at one point. Larry's written over a dozen books and created a host of his own proprietary technical indicators, which you can find on his website, IReallyTrade.com. More important, he's got a stellar track record with us, especially over the last few years. He called the COVID bottom when everybody else was looking. I thought the economy was going to stay locked down from here to eternity. He called the big rally in January. Everybody else thought that the market was going to fall apart. And now he's got a very specific, smaller stock idea that I really like. And it's called U-Haul. 
That's right, the do-it-yourself storage and moving vehicle rental play that needs no introduction because of those trucks. They're iconic. Why you all? All right, Williams points out that this is a great time of year for them. Remember, he likes to do cycles and different moments of the year. Now, I want you to check out this chart that shows the most common months of the year to move. Pretty obvious, right? That's right. According to the U.S. Census, 8.4% of Americans moved in 2021, and that's roughly 28 million people, which translates to $19 billion of annual spending on a moving average basis. Of that, $19 billion, 37.5% is spent on truck rentals, with another 16% going to moving containers. U-Haul's bread and butter. And as you can see from this chart, Peak moving season is in the summer. Roughly 62% of all moves in the United States take place between April and September, with the peak period really beginning uh, being June and through August. So could we be more on the case right now? Makes sense. Who wants to curl all that stuff around when it's freezing outside and there's ice everywhere? Recipe for disaster. Safer to get everything done when it's nice out. But is that really a good reason to buy U-Haul right now? Now, if you ask most economists, they tell you it's absolutely insane to play a stock like this, this kind of seasonal cycle, because, well, everybody knows about the seasonal story, so it should already be reflected in the share price. That's very common ill wisdom. Um, it's it, it just going by common sense. We know the market anticipates the future. But how the heck can you make money in U-Haul if everybody knows it's the peak moving season? Well, bear with me here, because it's absolutely right. If we're going purely off logic, it wouldn't make sense. But the stock market is not a logical animal. How many times have I taught you that? That's why rather than relying purely on reason or common sense, we need to take an empirical approach to investing. Now, look at this evidence. The U-Haul, uh, evidence says the U-Haul stock does seem to rally in the summer. Okay, here we go. Look at this. See, I mean, if it's so, you know, if everything's supposed to be in a stock, then why is that able to be a, how could that happen? And the answer is because things are irrational in the stock market. I want you to take a look at the weekly chart of U-Haul with Larry's true seasonal pattern down at the bottom in blue. Williams points out that this stock has a very strong tendency to rally from early July all the way through the middle of December, meaning this is a seasonal move with real legs. Last time it lasted through January before the stock rolled over. What a great run. I want you in this. Again, you could say it's absurd for a stock to trade this way. But what can I tell you? That's how you talk. You all trades. That's what it does. You could argue the people who buy this thing in the summer are idiots. I say who cares if they're idiots? They're reliable buyers. You can pretend they don't exist, but the pattern's there. Of course, Williams wouldn't recommend this stock based on the seasonal pattern alone. While these seasonal trends, uh, trades tend to work mostly of uh, the time, occasionally they don't. However, Williams also makes his own cycle forecast based on how a given stock's been trading over various periods of time. Now, take a look. With U-Haul, his cycle forecast says the stock is poised to rally from here into November, which is very similar to the seasonal pattern. Again, I mean, look at, you, you know, you just get this pattern and you really want to take advantage of it. Finally, Williams has his own gauge of institutional buying. We love to see institutional buying because these major firms had the firepower to move a stock and move it higher. Check out the action in U-Haul versus his institutional buying indicator down at the bottom right. Okay, Now, uh, right now, we're getting high readings of institutional buying. And according to Williams, this tends to be a precursor to meaningful rallies in the stock. My view, look, people want to move which is why the housing market keeps holding up insanely well, even after the Fed raised interest rates by 500 basis points. But between inflation and worries about the economy, people also want to save money, which is where U-Haul comes in. 
Wouldn't surprise me if this stock can do what it usually does and gives us a very nice rally in the summer. Hey, why not have an individual stock idea if you think it's going to work? Thank you, Larry. Bottom line, even if you can't figure out the whole economy, there are ways to figure out many individual stocks. Right now, the charts is driven by Larry Williams suggest that you all should be able to run from here through November or December. And you know what? I ain't betting against this guy. It's just too cut and dried. Let's go to Jim in Virginia. Jim. Hi. Hi. First time caller. Uh, and I have a question about the Bluebird Corporation. They make okay. school buses and they've been in business since 1927. And uh, they've just started uh, producing electric buses. And uh, I, I was wondering if what you think of the company. I have not been a fan, and I've not been a fan because they just simply don't make enough money with their core business. And if I'm not, if I'm going to buy a stock these days, if they're not making money in their core business, if it's not just a good traditional business, I'm going to have to recommend against it. But I do appreciate the call, and I'm glad to have a first-time caller. How about we go to Steve in New Jersey, who is not a first-time caller? Steve. Hey, Jim. How are you doing today? I am good. How about you, Steve? Doing okay. Um, my call today is about Norfolk Southern. Since the derailment earlier this year, which sent the stock to a low of 196, I see it's moving up steadily. Now, with the continued litigation over the derailment and the state of the economy, would you consider this stock a buy today? Okay, so there were two different recommendations to Norfolk Southern today, and we were both uh, puzzled. I was going over with the team, saying that this type, type of thing, this pattern, where you get not one but two pushes in a day usually means some good news is ahead. I say buy Norfolk Southern. I have the like management, and I like to go in it today. Now, you all might have a predictable seasonal pattern, but the charts in terms of Larry Williams suggest the stock is ready to rally again in the coming months. I'm betting with them, not against them. There, you just got a great idea from the show. Much more mad money ahead. Bargain hunters look to sue Savers Value Village for a good deal. But are investors getting a bargain in the newly listed stock? I'm surveying the situation. Then, avoid the Magnificent Seven at your own pearl. Couple of down days, but wait a second. I'm sharing why now is even more important than ever to focus on these red-hot stocks, even though there's been this rebalance against them. And then, of course, all your calls, rapid fire, in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. Last night, I talked about the quiet revival of the IPO market. We're starting to get some larger listings, and some of them, like Kava, the Mediterranean fast casual chain, have been real winners. We actually had six deals in the final week of June. That's a huge increase versus where we've been lately. Tonight, I want to circle back to the most successful of these new IPOs. It's called Savers Value Village. Savers Value Village. It's a thrift store chain. Came public at $18, opened at $24.77 on its first day of trading for pulling back to just under $23 at the close. Although it's now drifted down to $22 and change as of today. Look, I got to tell you, I think it's intriguing, but I am not sold on the stock, so let me explain to you why. Savers Value Village is the largest operator of for profit thrift stores in the U.S. and Canada, more than 300 North American locations and another dozen stores in Australia. They partnered with nonprofits to redirect billions of pounds of secondhand clothing and household goods from landfills. 
Regular viewers know I'm a big fan of all-price retailers like TGX, which buy unwanted excess merchandise from higher-end chains. Those off-price chains are, are what works when consumers are worried about the economy. They want to trade down. We own TGX for the Travel Trust. we got a nice game in the name, thanks to the ceases. We'll talk about it tomorrow's uh, uh, new conference call, by the way. Now, Savers Value Village isn't quite in the same line of business as TGX, but what they do is similar. They pick up unwanted apparel and then sell it to a more budget-conscious consumer. More importantly, the numbers are real good. In the first quarter, Savers had 7.2% same-store sales growth. 7.2 is pretty high although that was down from 20% growth the year before. And the comp slowed further to 6% and then 4.7% in April and May, respectively. If you look at the off-price change for comparisons, Savers is in much better shape. I mean, TJX, which I told you we like, had 3% same-store sales growth the first quarter. Wall stores only had 1%. Burlington, which is red hot, had 4%. None of them come close to this company. Now, in terms of new stores, Savers has gradually been expanding its footprint, although they're, they're not growing like crazy. They had 294 stores in 2020. Then they had 317 at the end of the first quarter. Despite the expansion, net sales growth slowed to 3.7% in the two-month period that ended up May 27. I don't like that deceleration. What about profitability? Savers lost $63.5 million in 2020, but then in 2021, their net income came in at $83.4 million. Although it stagnated there, up only 1.4% last year. This is what I was one of the things I'm very concerned about. But get this. Worse, they had a net loss of $10.2 million in the first quarter. Although Savers also said their net income uh, was back in solid positive, uh, positive territory for April and May. So this may just be historical, but I didn't like it. It was still down year over year. That said, when you drill down to the earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, They've got much better numbers. On the other hand, the free cash flow is back in negative territory. I don't like that. It's not great. How about the stock's valuation? All right, we don't have any meaningful estimates yet, so we have to judge savers using last year's earnings numbers, although that might be more generous because the earnings seem to be deteriorating. Right now, Savers is trading at roughly 43 times last year's earnings. Now, by comparison, Kramer fave TJX sells for 27 times last year's earnings and just 23 to 24 times this year's numbers. So that gives the edge to TJX. Given that Savers lost money in the first quarter and saw year-over-year earnings shrinkage in April and May, there's a good chance 2023 will be a down year for them meaning the stock might be trading at more than 43 times this year's eventual numbers. That's much more expensive than TJX. Now, if you judge this stock on an EBITDA basis instead, which seems kind of weird for a retailer, the enterprise value to EBITDA ratio is just 17, and that would make it look cheaper than TJX. Of course, the people buying savers aren't buying it for the present. They're buying it for a vision of the future. This company wants to be considered a growth name, with management claiming that they have a path to expand from 317 stores to, their words, not mine, more than 2,500 over time. If they can deliver on that, sure, this would be one of the greatest growth stories out there, and we'd be talking about it all the time. But I have no idea if that's possible. Is there really that much demand for for profit thrift stores in the U.S. and Canada? And that I don't know, but there very well may be. It it, it could be. Now, if you look at a more growth-oriented retailer like Five Below, it sells for roughly 35 times this year's earnings estimates, uh, which makes Savers' valuation look less insane. But then again, Five Below's got much better growth than Savers at the moment. 
At the same time, there's another important negative consideration. Sabres Value Village was a private equity-backed IPO. We've got a beat on these, and we know that they don't work out so well for you. The company is still controlled by its private equity sponsor, Aries Management, who happens to be a very good firm, by the way. Now, some of these private equity-backed deals work out for new shareholders, but it's almost always an uphill battle. The whole business model involves uh, loading up portfolio companies with large amounts of debt, which is why Savers has a less-than-ideal balance sheet, still manageable but not great. More importantly, Aries Management still owns 84% of the company, and eventually they're going to want to ring the register, because that's what these firms do. Of course, there's a lockup on insider sales for the first six months after the IPO, so it won't happen immediately. That's pretty much par for the course. But when Aries does start to sell... And that'll be as soon as late December. I'm going to tell you, I think the stock is going to get obliterated. Even if you like Savers Value Village in a little less than six months, this stock's going to hit its expiration date, at which point you probably don't want to stick around to wait for Aries to sell. So even though the IPO market's looking much better than it did in 2021, when we were flooded with all sorts of junk merchandise, not everything that will come public at, the, at this point in this deal cycle will be worth owning. Maybe all the money's been made here already. Savers has a seemingly great story. But when you look at the numbers, it seems to have issues right now. And I'd much rather you own TJX, a charitable trust name, or Five Below to play the same themes with time-tested companies, especially when I think how Savers has that private equity overhang. Bottom line, even though the investment bankers want to lure you back into the IPO casino with some enticing deals to start the cycle, not everything that comes in hot is worth owning. And I think Sabre's value building definitely falls into that category. Man Money is back after the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Keep that time. The lightning round comes with Richard in Arizona. Richard! Hey, Jimmy Chill. Thanks oh, for taking my call. Of course. I'd like to give you a big boo boo booyah from Bullhead City, Arizona. I'm happy to take it. If you don't mind, bring it on. All right. Hey, my question's on uh, Cleveland Cliffs, CLF. Good, but um, not great. New core is the one. We buy best of breed here, even if it is more expensive. That is our style. Has been for 18 years. We're not starting to deviate now. Let's go to Marla, North Carolina. Marla! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. I, I was wondering what your thoughts are on Jackson Financial, JXN. Okay, so I looked at this the other day, and I know this is going to sound charted, but it yields 7.8%. Frankly, that's too high. It's what I call a red flag, so I can't touch it. I'm now going to Curry in New Jersey. Curry. Yeah, hey. What's up, Jim? Not much. How are you, Curry? I'm all right. How you doing? Name is Curry, laughing Jim. at my accent. Stop laughing at my accent. It's not the that's stuff right. that you get at the Indian restaurant. I know, but that's how I pronounce it, for heaven's sake. Go ahead, Curry. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm curious about the uh, quantum scape, Jim. Oh, no, hard pass. There's nothing there. We're so, taking, so, 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 we're so, taking so, a breather. So, so, so. Oh, no, three calls? I can't take it anymore. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. 
Coming up, what's hot sauce and an old western have to do with Kramer's recent thesis? Not much, but his take is magnificent. And it's next. It's so aggravating to stand here and tell you just to stick with the Magnificent Seven and friends when there are so many cool ideas that are out there. For example, I'd love to talk to you about maybe buying uh, McCormick after it just reported terrific quarter while I was on vacation. This spice company is capitalizing on all sorts of great flavor trends. It's grill season, so why don't we just go buy it? But then I noticed the tried and true CEO, Lawrence Kirstius, is retiring. And I don't know the new fellow well enough to recommend the stock just because Cholula Hot Sauce Franks and French is doing well. And despite a great last quarter, McCormick didn't raise his forecast anywhere near what I would have expected, so I had to pass. I wish I could recommend a Zoom or a Roku or an Upstart or a Wayfair or a Carvana, but what, what am I basing that on other than a bunch of short squeezes that are going awry? Who knows when those will end? Those are basically like GameStop when it was on the way to 400. They're controlled stocks that can go higher because short sellers are panicky. Now that they've gotten high enough that the companies can sell new equity, solving some of the near-term problems in the balance sheets. No thanks. I would never own any of these stocks by Chapel Trust, but they can certainly go higher until every last short seller capitulates, as I said at the top of the show. Oh, I'd love to get behind any of the myriad regional banks that have great franchises, 5% yield, 6%, 6 PE. What could go wrong? Well, if the FDIC plays hardball and the earnings go soft, Everything could go wrong. And I was intrigued all day about the stocks of companies that seem to be beneficiaries of what is known as a NASDAQ 100 rebalancing that donates big gobs of gigantic stocks to smaller companies. But it's simply so much easier to talk about stocks where you know the price targets are going to go higher tomorrow, not lower. It's so much easier to talk about the Magnificent Seven where you know you're going to catch more upgrades and downgrades. You know you're going to hear about a price target raise in Tesla uh, anytime you want. Why not take your price target up for Amazon? It's Prime Day. Two upgrades. Is Meta crushing Twitter? Why not raise numbers for Microsoft now that Activision Blizzard deal is going to close because the FTC lost? I mean, they'll most likely crush the numbers anyway. You know how it is. That's the litany. It's just so darn easy to bet on the Magnificent Seven because everything always seems to go right with them. While the group might get hit because of the NASDAQ 100 rebalancing or a bizarre move in the bond market, or even some terrible inflation number tomorrow morning, you know the analysts will come out of the woodwork and they have no shortage of reasons to recommend them. The balls of the Magnificent Seven are always kept in the air. As someone who runs a diversified charitable trust portfolio, one that I'll talk about when we convene our monthly investing club meeting tomorrow at noon, I'm acutely aware that you don't want to own anything but these stocks right now. They're simply that much better than everything else, but that's it's not diversification. Of course, there'll be days when these stocks sell off horrendously altogether so that you can't even believe you ever entertain owning them and you will be grateful for diversification. But then something happens that's serendipitous, that's genius, that, that's so thoughtful and eye-opening. You say, aha, that's why I climbed the board. That's why I own them. I mean, for instance, yesterday, I'm reading this NVIDIA blog of all things. Yeah, about how their graphics cards are able to make weather predictions at a stunning level of accuracy and do climate modeling while enhancing energy efficiency. It's to the point where these, it just seems like magic. NVIDIA's forecast net can predict high impact weather events weeks in advance because it is 45,000 times faster than the current models. 45,000. It's always like that with NVIDIA, isn't it? It's not five times faster. It's not 10 times faster. It's not 10,000 times faster. It's 45,000. 
thousand times faster. And invariably because CEO Jensen Wong is a hater of waste and a lover of planet burns less energy. Now, I know that NVIDIA's weather forecasting doesn't result in higher earnings per share, at least not anytime soon. But it gives, what it gives you is the confidence to hold the stock during the inevitable downdrafts because they simply play at a different, higher level than any other company in the universe. So, yes, I like French's mustard and Frank's hot sauce. I still use Zoom. I bought a car from Carvana. The banks seem cheap. But none of these companies has figured out what the hottest day will be in the sub-Saharan desert in the next three years. Not the month, not the week, but the day. And that's what NVIDIA does. That's why NVIDIA can be owned when all hell breaks loose over the Fed meetings of the CPI numbers. As can the rest of the Magnificent Seven when the chips are down. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.